And when Atalia, the mother of Achazia, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal seed. But Yehosheva, the daughter of King Yoram, sister of Achazia, took Yoash, the son of Achazia, and stole him from among the king's sons which were slain. And they hid him, even him and his nurse, in the bedchamber from Atalia, so that he was not slain. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 113, Yehu, a usurper and an heroic princess. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. One of the fascinating aspects of the Bible is that it does not divulge any detail that is unnecessary for the progression of the plot. Thus, it may be critical that Esau was ruddy and hairy. It is essential to understand that Saul was of impressive height and that Samson's hair was long. But aside from that, the Torah is often uninterested in appearance. We don't know what Jacob, Moses, or Joshua looked like. Nor are we informed at any point in the biblical story how an average Israelite may have appeared. We can deduce that Israelite men were bearded, but what sort of beard they had, we do not know. We are aware that kings and prophets, such as Saul and Elijah, wore cloaks, and we know that women, such as Ruth, wore kerchiefs of sorts, but other sartorial details are left to speculation. It is for this reason that a visit to the British Museum is so very exciting. For amongst its antiquities can be found an image of an Israelite king. Indeed, the only image of an Israelite king. One who will take us into a bloody story of a massacre in the north and a usurpation in the south. But a story also involving one heroic princess whose name is not well known today and to whom every Jew must reflect profound gratitude. We begin with one of the many incredible artifacts in the British Museum collection the Black Obelisk of the Assyrian king Shalmaneser III, dating to 827 BCE, discovered by Austin Henry Layard in 1846 in his excavations of the ancient city of Nimrud. Very soon in the Bible, the rulers of the Assyrian Empire will be front and center in the story. But Shalmaneser III does not really appear in the Hebrew text. His obelisk, however, is exciting because it is so profoundly linked to biblical characters whose names we know. The obelisk was created in order to recount in both words and images Shalmaneser's various victories. Two kings mentioned on the obelisk are both found in the Tanakh. Elijah commanded Elisha to oversee a transfer of power in two peoples. First, as we discussed on Friday, Elisha is sent to Damascus, to ancient Aram, to appoint Hazael as its new king. And second, Elisha is told to arrange the downfall of the dynasty ruling the northern kingdom of Israel, the dynasty of Ahav, and to coronate a man by the name of Yehu, who is a general of Ahav, as the new Israelite king. Both of these rulers, Hazael and Yehu, are discussed on Shalmaneser's obelisk. And in describing the obelisk again, I'm grateful to professors Fant and Redding and their excellent book. On the obelisk, Shalmaneser describes his assault on Hazael of Aram. Quote, I confined him in Damascus, his royal city, cut down his orchards. I marched to the mountains of Harani. I raised, destroyed, and burned cities without number. I carried away their booty without number. I marched to the mountains of Balirasi at the side of the sea. I erected a statue of my royalty there. At that time, I received the tributes of the Tyrians and the Sidonians, and of Yehu, man of Bithumri. End quote. What Shalmaneser is recounting is as follows. Hazael, king of Aram, is a competitive power in the Near East. Recognizing the power of Assyria, 
to check that of Aram, Yehu, king of Israel, pays tribute to Assyria and essentially allows Israel to become a vassal state of Shalmaneser's growing empire. Note that the obelisk refers to the Israelite king as Yehu of Bithumri, which seems to mean Yehu of the house of Omri. We shall return to this odd reference. All of this is interesting, but what is also on the obelisk is truly amazing. The obelisk not only describes Yehu bringing a tribute to Shalmaneser, it actually gives us an image of the Israelite king doing so, which means that Yehu is the only member of our people who is mentioned by name in the Bible, of which an ancient picture exists. Ladies and gentlemen, that alone is worth the trip to London and the visit to the British Museum. Yehu's rise to the throne is one of the bloodiest in biblical history and is a fulfillment of the prophetic prediction of the destruction of the house of Ahav. We have seen how Elijah pronounced doom on Ahav's dynasty, meaning the dynasty of Ahav's father, Omri. When Ahav dies, he is succeeded by his son, Yehoram. Elisha then sends a fellow prophet to Yehu, Ahav's general. The prophet takes Yehu aside, anoints him in the name of God, and secretly informs him that he is becoming king and that he, Yehu, is to ensure that no remnant of Ahav's household lives. Chapter 9, verse 6. And he poured the oil on his head and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I have appointed thee king over the people of the Lord, even over Israel. And thou shalt smite the house of Ahav thy master, that I may avenge the blood of my servants the prophets, and the blood of all the servants of the Lord at the hand of Jezebel. For the whole house of Ahav shall perish. Yehu then goes out to his fellow officers, who mock the prophet, literally calling him Meshuga, meaning crazy. Verse 11. And one said unto him, Is all well? Why came this mad fellow to thee? And he said unto them, Ye know the man and his communication. And they said, It is false. Tell us now. And he said, Thus and thus spoke he to me, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I have anointed thee king over Israel. Hearing this, amazingly, the military turns on a dime. Verse 13. Then they hastened and took every man his garment and put it under him on the top of the stairs and blew with shofars, saying, Yehu is king. Yehu travels to Yisrael, where King Yehoram is recovering from a battle wound, along with Ahaziah, ruler of the southern kingdom of Yehuda. Ahaziah of Yehuda's father, Yehoram, has married into the house of Ahav, taking as his wife Ahav's daughter, Atalia. Thus we have the king of northern Israel, who is the son of Ahav, that's Yehoram, and the king of Yehuda, Ahaziah, who is Ahav's grandson. Yehu arranges for both kings to come out and meet him, and he slays them both. He then journeys to the palace in Yisrael, where Jezebel, Ahav's widow, is watching from atop the building. Yehu spoke to those ministering to her, and the doom prophesied by Elijah falls upon Jezebel. Verse 33. And he said, Throw her down. So they threw her down. And some of her blood was sprinkled on the wall and on the horses. And he trod her underfoot. And when he was come in, he did eat and drink. And he said, Go see now this cursed woman and bury her, for she is a king's daughter. And they went to bury her, but they found no more of her than the skull and the feet and the palms of her hands. Wherefore they came again and told him, and he said, This is the word of the Lord, which he spoke by his servant Elijah the Tishbite. Yehu then sends a letter to the capital, arranging for the killing of all of Ahav's sons, forty-two in all. Their heads are sent to Yehu in baskets. Yehu then journeys as king to Samaria and pretends to proclaim a holiday celebrating Baal. He gathers the pagan prophets within a temple, massacres them all, burns the idolatrous temple to the ground, and turns it into a latrine. Now that we know the story behind Yehu's rise, let us look again at his picture in the British Museum and its accompanying caption. 
we see now what an Israelite of that age looked like. Note that Ye was bearded, but his beard is not very large. But look also at how he is posed. Our only picture of a biblical king is also one of his abject humiliation. A royal leader anointed by prophets is forced to kneel, bribe, plead before the pagan ruler of Assyria, Shalmaneser. A man who came to power through so much brutal force now crouches powerless. Though this scene on the obelisk does not appear in the Bible, it is a fitting testament to Yehu's biblical legacy. After the destruction of the prophets of Baal, after the destruction of Ahab's household, the stage had been set for a religious renaissance for the embrace by Israel of biblical monotheism. But alas, while the prophets of Baal had been destroyed, the embrace of idolatry that began with the first ruler of northern Israel continues. Because of this failure, Yehu is informed that his own dynasty will last only four generations. Thus, as wondrous as it is to see the actual image of an Israelite of the Bible, whose name we know, whose story we can study, in the end the obelisk and its image of Yehu bowing down to the Assyrian king, as well as its inscription referring to him as a descendant of Omri, captures the tragedy of this king. Yehu, of course, is not a descendant of Omri. He is the destroyer of the house of Omri. Perhaps he is mentioned as the house of Omri because he is the king who succeeded that royal house. But Yehu's assault on Ahav's family, on Omri's family, Yehu's destruction of the worshippers of Baal, was the last best hope for a religious revival in the northern kingdom. To see Yehu on this obelisk, to see him affiliated with Omri's idolatrous legacy, to see the rise of Assyria and the subjection and defeat of the kings of Israel before it, is to see in this very obelisk Yehu's failure and the beginning of the end of the northern kingdom. Meanwhile, what occurs in the southern kingdom is horrible beyond imagination. Remember that Yehu not only killed Ahav's son, but also Ahaziah, king of Yehuda, who was the grandson of Ahav. Ahaziah's mother, Atalia, daughter of Ahav, who is queen mother in the southern kingdom of Yehuda, stages her own coup in Yehuda, in Judah, killing all descendants of David, including, it seems, her own grandchildren, and she seizes power. In one moment, the Davidic dynasty is wiped out, or so it would seem. Into the breach steps one of the great forgotten heroes of Jewish history. Chapter 11. And when Atalia, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal seed. But Yehosheva, the daughter of King Yoram, sister of Ahaziah, took Yoash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him from among the king's sons which were slain. And they hid him, even him and his nurse, in the bedchamber from Atalia, so that he was not slain. And he was with her, hidden in the house of the Lord, six years. And Atalia did reign over the land. What this means is that Yehosheva, wife of the high priest, daughter of a previous Davidic king, herself a member of the royal family, which allowed her access into the palace, steals one child out of the complex and hides him ultimately in the temple. This is the last living heir of David. If we pause for one moment, we realize how far Jerusalem has strayed from Solomon's vision. As the book of Kings began, we saw Solomon with the temple built. He was revered by his people and by the entire Middle East. Now, several centuries later, his kingdom is divided. His own kingdom of Judah is ruled by a pagan queen from another Israelite family. And in the temple that Solomon thought would display the glory of David's vision to the world, 
Now the last living descendant of David hides from all the world. But the image is also poignant, because from the temple, the resurrection of David's house will go forth, thanks to one princess from the house of David. After several years, in one of the most dramatic moments in the Bible, the child heir of David, the one true king, is brought forth by the high priest. Hearing the acclamation, Queen Atalia exits her palace and sees the grandchild that she had tried to murder, who is very much alive. This is one uncomfortable family reunion. Verse 14 and 16. And when she looked, behold, the king stood by a pillar, as the manner was, and the princes and trumpeters by the king. And all the people of the land rejoiced and blew with chauffeurs. And Atalia rent her clothes and cried, Treason, treason. And they laid hands on her, and she went by the way by which the horses came into the king's house, and there was she slain. The rise of Yehu thus begins a chain of events through which the whole royal family in the north and most of the royal family in the south is killed. The striking irony is that while we today remember and look upon the face of Yehu, few even know the name of the greatest hero of this story that we have just told, the Princess Yehosheva, through whom the line of David survives. George Eliot ends the novel Middlemarch with the famous line that, quote, the growing good of the world is partly dependent on unhistoric acts, and that things are not so ill with you and me as they might have been, is half owing to the number who live faithfully a hidden life and rest in unvisited tombs, end quote. This is true, but it is also true that the good of the world is dependent on enormously historic acts committed by people who deserve to be remembered more than they are. Thus, we conclude today by remembering that whenever we proclaim that David Melech Yisrael Chayve Kayam, that King David lives, it is also true that Yehosheva's legacy lives as well. This is Mayor Soloveitchik, looking forward to learning together tomorrow, signing off.